ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. Welcome back, Wildcat faithful, to the Wildcat Radio 2.0 podcast. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Brett Berry. Brett, how are you, man? Ronnie, I'm doing well, man. I was going to say, Adam, you, you sound and look <laughs> different. Uh, you know, not worse, but different. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, Brett... Um, we're finally fulfilling our fantasy of doing this show together. Uh, and we can probably just save all of the listeners a trip over to the episode notes. This is not a replay from back in my day of being on this show all the time with Adam. Adam decided to go get married and he's, uh, he's got a couple weeks off. Uh, so as a, uh, a little relief for the big man <laughs> while, while he's enjoying this time, uh, I have, uh, I've been asked to step in. My number has been called and I'm out of the bullpen. Well, I'm excited to have you. And now that I've, you know, fulfilled that best man duty at his wedding last weekend, finally, I can spend some time with my real best friend here and you, Ronnie. So I'm very excited. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. So beautifully. So, um, yes, of course, happy to be here. It's been a bit, um, yeah, Adam. Adam left me at a, at a pretty um, well. I mean, I'll just say it. He kind of selfish, right? I think over the last few weeks, there's just been nonstop action. It feels like really from the end of football season through. Um, I mean, I guess when you know U of A was on a little bit of a hot streak with basketball. I know I appeared then, but I mean, at least for like the last few weeks, several weeks, there's been tons to talk about. And now he goes and get married and truly, you know, re- really real off season stuff. It seems like I know baseball is, uh, is doing pretty well, which, um, you know, I guess, you know, we, we will touch on at some point in the future. Um, not necessarily on this agenda here today. Um, we got some other things to touch on, but, uh, actually Brett, before I forget, let's go ahead and take care of a couple, uh, housekeeping items and bear with me listeners. Uh, it's been a bit here, so let's see if I can shake off this rust here and, uh, and get back in with it. Um, subscribe to the podcast for free iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, et cetera. Basically all of your podcast catchers, uh, be sure to follow the podcast as well on social media. Um, check out the Twitter handle. Hey, Brett, by the way, who, who's operating the Twitter handle these days? Is, is it a rotation? It is. It has mostly been me. Okay. Uh, sometimes Brian will get in there. Uh, often as the games, I, I, I usually am most active during the games trying to not necessarily live tweet, especially when I'm streaming Pac-12 Networks, so I'm behind by 45 seconds. But I, I'd like to think my my tweets get more entertaining as the games go on and the beers get drank. Oh, yeah. No, that that's always great. So um, I guess, are you going to be doing this for baseball at all? Maybe, maybe the ASU, uh, ASU U of A baseball game, huh? Put you on the spot? I, 
I mean, I would like to. I, the last couple of years, up until until coronavirus, I usually got to go to the uh, to the game up one of the, at least one of the games up here for ASU baseball. Well, Boss had really good tickets, and it was always a delightful time in March to go sit and watch Arizona. You know, usually do pretty well, and uh, it's a pretty nice stadium that they've got up here. That's uh, when it, when the weather's nice, but yeah, you know, we'll see. I got I, it's it's hard when it's on. Uh, Pac-12 networks, it's a little more of a hassle, shall we say, for me to get to watch some of those things if I'm not at the game physically. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I, I know that it's coming up here. I think, um, well, here we are recording this on March 16th. I, I want to say in the next couple of weeks or so, because I know um, the men's team, they're off to UCLA, I believe, this upcoming weekend. So pack play is about to be in full swing here. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see, um, what the attendance restrictions look like, but regardless, wrapping up housekeeping stuff here, Brett, um, subscribe, follow, leave a review, tell your friends the whole, the whole bit and caboodle there, as they say. Um, also this podcast is brought to you by my bookie, right? So my bookie is a proud sponsor and we are proud to have them as a sponsor of this show. Um, you know what you can do with my bookie? You can bet on the women's basketball team in March madness, right? A lot of exciting stuff. Brett and I are about to jump into that. We're, we're going to walk you through what coach Barnes and the gals look like as far as their path to chopping down the nets. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously March Madness full swing here, uh, or, or by the time you hear this, it'll be full swing. Uh, my bookie's a great place to capitalize on uh, and on on any uh, any opportunities you see out there in the marketplace. Hop in, Brett. Let's go ahead and jump in. Like I said, wanted to start with women here today. Um, I think that they absolutely deserve it. Um, and, and not only necessarily because of there's no men's to report on, obviously the self-imposed, uh, ban on this postseason has taken place, but the women, they, they've wrapped up a very good season, regular season, I should say, right. Um, finished number 11 in the polls. Of course, uh, they lost to UCLA. I believe it was the semifinals, right. Um, lost to UCLA brackets are out brackets are out and here we are they're sitting as a three seed now it's worth noting that the three seed that they're the three seed of, of the corner of the bracket they're in is the nc state one seed piece right not south carolina not stanford not yukon you might be able to argue that they got i know nc state's having a good year um but you might argue that they got the weakest of the four one seeds um, thoughts on coach Barnes. I mean, obviously very strong year, uh, Ari McDonald's another strong year thoughts on where they landed with the three seed overall thoughts on what McDonald and Barnes and, and co have done on the season, Brett. So I think you're right that, uh, NC state's probably the worst of the four seeds, except for the flip side of that is if all, you know, is chalk on the, on the, on, in their bracket, they probably have the hardest two seed in A and M. Um, I actually was, I have a good buddy who's a big uh, Aggie fan and me and him were talking about the women's basketball teams uh, a few weeks ago when we were sipping on some whiskey as one does. Uh, and so we were already kind of starting smack talk between our teams. And now we're probably going to try to find an excuse to be able to be doing so during the game. Uh, if they, if it so happens in the sweet 16, but I think overall, 
you know, that, that matchup, assuming Arizona wins against Stony Brook in the first round, uh, and takes care of either Rutgers or BYU in the second round, I got to imagine it's going to be A&M they'd face in the sweet 16. That's going to be a real tough matchup. I would maybe even contend potentially harder than NC state, but if you can get past that and you get some momentum going, you got to feel pretty good about it. Arizona's women's have kind of had a little bit of, you know, I wouldn't say tripped up down the, down the, towards the end of the season. You know, they, they lost in the PAC 12 tournament. They lost a couple times towards the end of the regular season, but really they've had sustained success since the NIT two seasons ago. And they're finally getting to have that opportunity to play in the March madness bracket. Um, with the, I would, I would dare say without a, you know, throwing shade at some in-state rivals that we have, we have the best, most talented, uh, women's basketball roster, uh, in program history, except for our, our, our best, most talented roster in program history for the women's team is, uh, you know, looking like they're going to make, be able to make a run. So that's, that speaks to the Barnes and, and the, and the players on the team that has me really excited. Cause I was actually, I, I've told Adam before, I don't know if you've listened on those episodes. I was more, uh, I was more disappointed last year to not get to see the woman in the March Madness tournament than the, the inevitable trudging disappointment that was going to be Nico and Josh green in the, in the men's side. Like I was just knew I was setting myself up for disappointment. So I'm really excited. Eric McDonald is back. Uh, along with the, you know, basically the, the entirety of last year's roster and really get a chance to see what they can do. Um, Cause it's been basically two plus years of, of about, you know, some of the best, I, I can't imagine, or, or can't remember a time in Arizona women's basketball history. That's had, had such a sustained success that I'm really excited to see what they can do. And I'm really circling that sweet 16 matchup with AM, and that'll really tell us whether it's going to be, if you win that game, I think it's elite eight at the minimum. Uh, but that's going to be the first real big test. Very fair, very fair. And and just circling back, I, I, I'm with you too, right? I, I was not looking forward to the 7-10 matchup where Josh Green and Nico Mannion got completely stifled by Texas Tech in the first round last year. So in a, in a way, it's like, okay, well, I'm glad March Madness was canceled for the men because we didn't have to see that. Uh, women went 100% correct, right? Going back two years ago, the NIT, that was just so fun to follow. Um, you know, and, and, and the city just got behind them. And that's what's really neat about the NIT too, right? Is that, you know, you host people can come to the games. It, it's a home game, right? Uh, and, and everyone really got yeah. behind that coach Barnes did such a great job of, uh, of really hyping that up and then creating the following, right. Also creating the product, right. People aren't going to come if you don't build it. And she's done a tremendous job. So, uh, very much looking forward to, uh, that squad finally getting their chance to shine on the big stage. Obviously the three seed was, um, probably lower end of expectations uh, of maybe of what they had in mind. Right. I mean, I know they had a, a little bit of an ups and down year. I mean, the PAC 12 is consistently one of the, if not the best conference, as far as the women's game is concerned. Um, but you know, yeah, the, the Stanford's, the UCLA's Oregon state for that matter. I mean, they, they had a pretty, pretty tough schedule. So to come out of that, like I said, lost to UCLA in the tournament, didn't get to bring home the conference tournament championship. Um, but wrapped up a very strong regular season. And here they are sitting at number three. I I'm with you, Brett. I mean, you know, they're going to pound Stony Brook, no offense to Stony Brook, but they're they're Stony Brook has zero chance here. So then it gets to Rutgers BYU. Got to feel good about that. Texas tech is kind of the interesting one, right? Because if, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, Texas tech lost to Georgia, I believe it was in, in the, you mean, you mean, 
You mean A&M, not Tech. Oh, oh, excuse me. Tex- oh, God. Get Texas Tech on my mind. I'm thinking ahead to even this <laughs> upcoming weekend. Thank you for that. Yes, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Uh, they, they actually finished the, uh, the, the Week 17 AP rating uh, ranking at number four, right? And so this is interesting. If you're looking at that Week 17 top 25 ranking, UConn 1, Stanford 2, NC State 3, Texas A&M 4. So back to the point, and then uh, where, where you set me straight on that. Yes, NC State might be considered one of the, or if not the weakest one seed of the four. Uh, A&M is probably debatably um, worthy of the one as well. And they're going to see uh, the coach Barnes and McDonald. I mean, they're going to see AM before they get to NC state, hopefully. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Definitely seems like a collision course for a, uh, sweet 16 matchup and they're going to have their work cut out for them that weekend. Right. Because if it does turn into an AM, then NC state, um, if they get out of those two games, you got to feel pretty good about their chances from there. But it, it's going to be a, a it's going to be a tough draw from them for about four straight games if they can do it. Yeah, if they if they beat A and M and then beat NC State and somehow make the Final Four, you probably are staring down a you know UConn most likely or maybe Baylor right behind that. And Baylor is twenty five and two themselves, right? Um, it's going to be. It's if if they if the if the Lady Wildcats make it all the way to the championship game, it won't be for lack of playing hard opponents, most likely. Yes. Uh, you know, it's March and anything can happen, but I, I I feel like some of those, you know, the women's basketball is a little bit more like men's basketball was 20, 30 years ago, where the dominant teams, in my opinion, are like they're the dominant teams, and they're it's going to be a little bit more chalk on the at least on the high seeds. Sure you know, maybe some more upsets on the lower ones, as opposed to, I think the men's, you know, you're going to have how many five, 12 upsets. I'm not sure that's going to happen as much on the women's side. I think there's such a, a drop off between that, you know, the teams that qualify for three or four seed and, and, and everyone else. Um, and then, and I mean, if you follow women's basketball at all, you know, the history of UConn and <laughs> yeah. how many, how many years did they go without losing a game? And then it was a big deal and they lost, but they lost one this year, so we'll see. Hopefully, if uh, they meet Arizona in the Final Four, they'll lose one more. The good news is everybody is beatable, right? There are no undefeated women's teams. So if, if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for a little ray of sunshine in your analysis here, everybody is beatable. So that's great. No immortality so far. Um, so yeah, I mean, regardless, great job, right? Wrapping up the regular season, like I said, great job with that. Best of luck um, to Coach Barnes and the squad as they enter. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Right. Uh, as I said, at the beginning here, Brett, you and I are doing this again next week. So hopefully we have some good news to report back on and talk about. Um, but I, you know, regardless, even on, even moving on what they've done, what coach Barnes has done, um, with the squad and just turning everything around as they had, uh, it just feels good that there's a lot of stability, right. Uh, within, within the ladies side of the shop, especially at the top. Um, don't know what that really feels like on the men's side. Um, Brett, you and I talked about this before we started recording. We don't want to turn this, uh, get on soap boxes and talk about how ridiculous, uh, the Sean Miller thing, uh, everything going on there is right now, uh, still in a holding pattern. Like I said, recording this on March 16th, um, and the evening of March 16th, 
holding pattern. I, I you know, I, I know I, we've talked about it when, when I was a guest on here a couple months ago, um, you and you and Adam have been hammering it as you should. I mean, it is noteworthy. Um, but at this point it's just, I'll, I'll say this, Brett, leave it to Arizona to overcomplicate such an easy thing to do, right? There's really no, no other outcome that should take place, right? There's three things that can happen. He enters Sean Miller enters next year without a contract extension as one year remaining, or he gets extended or he gets canned. That's it. Um, really those last two options are the only viable ones in my mind. It doesn't make sense at all. And I know you guys have talked about this of him entering next season on a one-year deal. That's just stupid. Um, but stupid is as stupid does. And unfortunately, uh, president Bobby likes to flirt with stupidity that line sometimes. And, and so here we are, despite what the top boosters are allegedly reporting and saying that they have, you know, full faith and confidence in Sean Miller. Um, president Bobby's not, uh, not necessarily sold at this point as all indications seem to point to, uh, any thoughts since you guys have last talked about it, Brett? I mean, you, you you say that uh, the women's side has all the stability. I'd say nothing has been changing in the, on the men's side for the last however, however many months, and that's not necessarily a good thing, right? There's no news. Uh, even the notice of allegations, there was no news, and we keep having to rehash the same stories, and it becomes a national story because Arizona's administration doesn't want to apparently resolve it, um, and they're kind of backing themselves into you know, into one of the two corners that you, I think you mentioned is the only viable options, but at the same time, you're basically, I, I don't know how you're not setting yourself up for either a, a really tortured relationship between your, your highly paid, uh, head coach. If he, if he is successful and gets an extension with the administration, the president and the athletic director, if Dave Hickey is even the one making the calls anymore, or, you're setting a very weird precedent right before you're going to go out and try to convince donors to hire somebody that the fans won't completely revolt and the boosters won't completely revolt. And if you treat your head coach, who is what, you know, the, the I forget, was it the fourth fastest to 300 third. wins uh, or third fastest? And I guess, and, and actually, I, I think it's technically second because there's a tie for first between Lute Olson and I think John Wooden. Yeah, it's, and <laughs> this is where I I've sometimes have analogized. You know, I've I I have the hot take that everyone's uh, Sean Miller take is bad because everybody just sees it as a Rorschach test, um, and it reminds Arizona fans when it comes to Sean Miller and like not living up to expectations is like the um I, I, we talked about yeah Adam and I talked about it. it's the coach after Tom Osborne that went ten and two in football at Nebraska and got fired because he didn't meet their expectations after they went you know ten and one or eleven and one or whatever for or undefeated for a few straight years so you know the it, it's it seems pretty clear at this point that Robbins and Hiki if he if Hiki is even involved they're just waiting out some. <laughs> you know, the tournament to come to, to a close for a few teams that maybe have some coaches that they want to feel out, but you know, who's really making the call here. Is it the boosters? Is it Hiki? Is it uh, Robbins? I I'm reminded of uh, what was it? The riddle in game of Thrones when he says a rich man, uh, a King and a cell sword <laughs> or, or, you know, it's like who has, who holds the power here from, from game of Thrones. Right, and I, right. I and I, I don't know if anybody really knows the answer to that. And that's why you end up in this holding pattern that's making it ultimately worse for everyone. 
I, if, if Dave Hickey is not actively looking for other job opportunities, I, I don't know what that man's thinking. <clears throat> I, I, I would have the weekend following Jed Fish's hire. I would have 100% uh, started dusting off the resume and shooting it off, sending out feelers. Uh, he must have a network of other AD friends somewhere. Right? And at this point, you know, and, and let's get back. I mean, <clears throat> sure, Jed Fish, you know, at this point has, has somewhat worked out, right? I mean, I, I guess like all you can do at this point without playing games, it's worked out, right? He's he, he, he's closed some holes by getting some transfers or so we think, right. Some plug and play guys. Um, he's really, he's really gotten involved with the fan base, former players, et cetera. Um, so, you know, but that was clearly a president Bobby situation, right? This, this is not a <clears throat> Dave Hickey. If, if he had it his way, I'm willing to bet just about anything, um, that it would have been Brent Brennan of San Jose state. So, you know, here we go, getting back to the point then too, if who's calling the shots, if it was Dave Hickey, I would like to think that Dave Hickey is probably, he seems a little risk adverse, right? So I, I think that if, if, if you're playing that card, <clears throat> but also logic, the obvious thing is to extend Sean Miller, right? I, I, I think to me, it's like, look, if you were going to can him, to me, it makes sense to have done it last year because last year, you know, okay, go back three years. Three years was when the whole FBI thing came out. <clears throat> Excuse me, three seasons ago is when the whole FBI thing came out. Completely ravaged the 2018-2019 recruiting class. As a result, that team went 17 and 15, although started 14 and 15, right there, or excuse me, 14 and five. It was pretty promising, but uh, ravaged, right? So the whole time it's just the, the dark clouds following, right? And it's just, it's just a broken record. Oh, what's going to happen to Sean Miller? Is he going to get for you? I don't know. And then, so here we are, you know, he gets through it and it's like, oh man, he's still here. The hammer hasn't dropped. We got Josh Green, Nico Mannion coming in. That team finishes 21 and 11. That's fine, but clearly an underperformance. Their best win, Colorado, Colorado's always questionable in my mind. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're above average, but I never consider them to be a great basketball team. So, so here we are right after that, it seems like last year was the perfect way to cut bait, especially because it's like, Oh, what's going on with the recruiting class for so long. And then he goes and does this overhaul of all the international players and I'm sorry, but they completely exceed expectations. Brett, I know I'm going to chime in on this after the break and give my two cents and just kind of wrap up what I saw throughout the season and just you know put a bow on it. Um, but the, the point to this ramble here is clearly you should have cut bait last year before he built this foundation that looks to be pretty solid for probably the next couple of years. It makes zero sense now um, to not extend him or to not cut bait with them, right? It's like, don't let them go into the final year and, and w without a contract. That's all. Yeah. The, like I said, there, there's, they're seemingly going with the worst possible option. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I would bet that Sean Miller with very little leverage would take a relatively affordable with easy out contract right now that extended it for three years. And it made it really easy to fire him without cause or with cause with minimal financial penalties and we're just gonna you know 
check back and by the time Adam's, which is going to happen first, there will be a decision with Sean Miller or Adam will be back from his honeymoon in Hawaii. I'm going to go with Adam will be back from his honeymoon in Hawaii. <laughs> I think that's fair. I'm, I'm not going to take you up on that bet. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, okay. but I, 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 th- I think you I th- I think you raised some interesting points about the roster. Maybe we can bring that up after the break. Let's do it. Yeah, let's. Um, great time for a break. Little cliffhanger for you. Um, we will jump in and continue those thoughts right after this. All right, welcome back, um, Brett. Before the break, we were talking about, right, um, enough of the Sean Miller talk. I mean, I'm sure at this point, everyone's just disgusted by what's happening. So I think that's enough. Um, But as far as the roster construct of what he was able to do last year and what should be rolled over into next year, um, two thoughts. Um, One is... Well, I guess I, I, I guess one thought, and then, then we can kind of get into the other piece of it. Uh, first thought is, right, it seems like Arizona, uh, Sean Miller, and the coaching staff are pretty active in the transfer market, uh, as well as the decommitted, as well as the decommitted uh, player, Ty Ty Washington from Creighton. All of these... We know of Ty Ty Washington uh, most recently this evening. Um, Tari Eason, a transfer who is, well, I guess a player at Cincinnati, a freshman at Cincinnati who has entered the transfer portal. Um, it seems like Arizona is going to get active on that. Um, George Washington, uh, George Washington University transfer Jameson Battle. Seems like Arizona is pretty active there. Um, that's just three that have been noted in the media, Brett. But if you do the math, um, there are three incoming freshmen and yet only Ira Lee and Trell Brown are leaving. So even right there kind of puts us in a number crunch. How about these other three? How, how, how is all this going to work? Do you do speculation? Any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take a, uh, a brain surgeon to figure out that there's probably some numbers being worked out and there's probably some also balance of Arizona doing their due diligence for guys that want to test the waters, uh, whether it's MBA or otherwise. Uh, I think there's talk of James Akinjo at least wants to dip his toe in, see what the, what feedback he gets after the season he had. I think that that's his right. Um, I don't necessarily think it's likely that he would leave because I think he could be well served by a you know one more year with a talented roster that'll probably have some national prominence, a lot of eyeballs on this roster, not just for you know on the court performance, but probably eyeballs for whatever happens with Sean Miller. Um, you know, but I think he he does not have the inherent measurables that the NBA wants, so I think that means that he probably needs to come back and and show show out one more year before he can even think about. Uh, making the jump. Uh, but then, you know, then there's Ben Mathern, who's probably in a similar boat who had, you know, kind of a roller coaster year, you know, exceeded everyone's expectations offensively, probably for the most part, but towards the end of the year was, uh, you know, very up and down and inconsistent and certainly not living up to his expectations defensively, but probably the most intrigue. And then I think you got to look at some of the guys that were, you know, some of the guys that got hurt or uh, just didn't play very much, you know, Jamal Baker, is he coming? Is he does he want to come back? Does he want to try to 
make a run for, you know, everybody thinks they're going to go to the NBA, but maybe you can go overseas and make a couple hundred K a year or Daniel Bacho, you know, was injured most of the year, uh, was a pretty highly acclaimed guy coming out of, out of Europe or Tibet Gorner, who got a few, you know, a, a few minutes here and there, but wasn't going, you know, wasn't, wasn't getting a ton of minutes and probably won't going forward. You know, these things tend to work themselves out and you can probably look at this interest uh, in some of these guys in the, in the transfer portal. And you can kind of get a sense of <laughs> it's, it's not hard to piece together who is the most likely to leave. You know, I think Ty Ty Washington is coming. If James Akinjo or Sean Miller will get more serious. If James Akinjo is, gets more serious about leaving for the NBA. Right. Um, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but I think that's something that where they have to go through the process and get those feelers out there. But my guess is there's probably some combination of guys that they already know are leaving. Um, maybe the guys that weren't getting minutes and then some guys where they're just keeping up, you know, keeping warm for if, uh, if they decide to make a, make a move like the Ben Matherns and James Akinjos. Yeah, Brett, I, I think, I think all that makes sense. Um, I'm actually leaning more towards, and, and you, you touched on these two specifically, uh, Daniel Bacho and then Gorner. Those two just make a lot of sense to me for different reasons, but, but basically the same, right? Like uh, Daniel Bacho heralded, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of exciting when, when he committed. I mean, it seemed a little bit, um, it, not a little bit. I mean, it seemed promising, right? Unfortunately, injuries just kept him out. And then Sean Miller opted to, to, to just officially throw in the towel on the season, you know, uh, when, when there was still it seemed seemingly uh, enough season left to where maybe he could have seen, you know, shown uh, something opted to keep him out. Uh, and then, and then Gorner is the other one to me. Um, Gorner, you know, he was, if I'm remembering correctly, he was one of those first players to commit um, last year with that big overhaul, right? We're, here we are in year three of all the roster overhaul, um, you know, uh, finally a little stability going into next year. So we think, but, um, you know, Gorner, I, if I'm remembering correctly, like I said, I, he was one of the first guys to commit seemed kind of exciting, right. Uh, rangy, um, you know, he, he shot the three well, right. Coming out you know, we, we weren't expecting, I mean, he was by no means a five-star. I think everyone understood that, but it definitely seemed like one of those guys that could come in and develop into something special. Saw him a little bit here and there, never really any meaningful minutes, um, you got to think as far as, as far as both of these guys, but you know, Gorner, you, you got to think, you know, if you make it to this level, the idea is that you have aspirations of going as far as you possibly can. Right. And if you make it to this level as a scholarship player at the university of Arizona power five conference, um, th that's really damn impressive. And so the fact that you're capable of doing that, you, you, you must have higher uh, you know, expectations for your career here. Um, you got to think that if you're going to maximize that potential, uh, if you're going to actually take advantage uh, of that, um, it's probably not best for you to ride the bench for another year. Right. And so, um, I'm not saying that would necessarily be the case, but it kind of just seems like, you know, how would he fit in with next year's team? Right. He's basically buried behind Dale and Terry and, uh, and Ben Matherin and all indications are, I know you touched on the Matherin bit and Matherin might be coming. He might go, he might test the waters, but it, I, I feel like he's a slam dunk to come back. Right. And same thing with the Kinjo. I mean, I, I agree with you there on that. So, um, so what does that do for the numbers? Right. So I really Terrell Brown, as we know, those are the two guys leaving. Um, we then know that, okay. 
if, if, if you're going to assume Batcho and Gorner, okay, now, now you have four spots open without, without then touching. I mean, again, just under the assumption that Akinjo stays, Matherin stays, you're looking at four spots that just opened up. Well, we know that there are three incoming freshmen, right? So the three incoming freshmen that then leaves one spot, right? So, I mean, Miller, you know, all these moving pieces, we talked about, you know, Ty Ty Washington, um, battle from George Washington. Now Eason on the open market, apparently from Cincinnati, um, you know, something right. And, and, and I think that that's a very good point that you made about Ty Ty Washington is, you know, well, perhaps that is a great backfill if James Akinjo hits the road, right? You can't imagine somebody that caliber is going to come in and just, you know, red shirt the year play behind James Akinjo. I mean, especially this day and age, these guys are coming into play immediately. So, um, yeah, no, it definitely, it, it seems like there's some writing on the wall. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's a pure numbers game at that point. So I don't know all that in mind. We're, we're, we're not done, right? There, there, there's going to be probably some news aside from the contract stuff. There's going to be some news that comes out that, you know, maybe one or two players moves on from the program. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, right? And this gets back to the second thing that I wanted to touch on is just that core stays together, right? I, I really, you, you alluded to Jamal Baker. I don't think, I mean, Jamal Baker had a very small sample size on the season where he was excellent. Um, if you know that, that, you know, you outperformed in that small sample set and you want to go, go capitalize on the biggest contract you can get out of that, by all means, beautiful, please go do it. Um, it just kind of feels like he's, he's destined to come back as well. So, I mean, you keep the, Akinjo, the Baker, the Matherin, obviously Tubelis, right. The, 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 the Kerr Carissa bit, that's it. It seems like the, the top six, seven players, uh, well, I guess minus Terrell Brown, but you know, basically those guys minus Terrell Brown coming back. It's, it's a lot to be excited about next year. It seems. Yeah. But I, you know, after you were talking about Bacha where he was injured and then kind of still didn't play the rest of the year, that makes me kind of wonder if it was maybe determined to help him remain eligible for if he was going to transfer to not play. Um, I'm not sure uh, if, if transfer and redshirting rules are going to be modified at all due to coronavirus and the weird season, but that would, that would be one way of reading the tea leaves. Um, I, you know, I, I think, if you look at who's coming in, you have three perimeter guys. And if you're going to have that one free spot, not assuming nobody else uh, from the guards are leaving, let's assume it's Bacho and Gorner along with Terrell Brown and Ira Lee. You got to be going with a big guy, right? Because they, they, they need a little bit more depth there with Jordan Brown and Christian Coloco. Uh, and Coloco was on TMZ. I don't know if you saw that. Somehow he got on TMZ talking about Brawny. I oh, you missed know. that article, Ronnie? I saw I, your facial reaction. I missed that, but I knew. So I didn't realize this. Uh, uh, Sierra Canyon, right? He's from Sierra Canyon. He he went to school at Sierra Canyon, which is where LeBron, where Bronny mm-hmm. plays now. So I'm sure yeah. that there's a little connection there. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, and he sounded like a guy who's for sure coming back. So I think you can cross him off the list of, that makes of sense potential guys that might leave. Yeah. Um, but he, he, even so, you know, I really was not your traditional big guy. You know, I don't know if Eason is somebody that can play right away or if he's going to have to redshirt. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like there's some, there's some smoke there um, in terms of interest. He's kind of an athletic power forward, which would maybe fit in terms of what the, the roster needs. But, you know, I think the, the overall point is you're pretty excited if you look at this roster, see what's already there and what's coming in. 
and you know your your worst case scenario is you lose one of Mathrin or Akinjo, right? You're probably not losing both of them unless disaster strikes. Uh, and I think that there's enough intrigue in that roster and development from Tubelis. Coloco played his best couple games down the stretch. Uh, you know, I think the last game was probably his best game of the year. It's 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 something to build on, especially when you add in some some guys on the perimeter uh, that probably are a little more defensively minded, and hopefully with some development of guys like Ben Matherin, you feel pretty excited about what this roster can do. But to your to your point, we need some stability, and if <laughs> who knows what's going to happen between now and April. Yeah, so I I have the stats up right here, right? So <clears throat> in order. And of course, keep in mind that Jamal Baker had only played 12 games, whereas Akinjo, Tubelis, Matherin, Brown, I mean, basically everybody played 26 games that I'm about to read out here. So um, leading scores went as follows. James Akinjo, Uzelis Tubelis, uh, Jamal Baker, Ben Matherin, Jordan Brown, Terrell Brown, Kerr Carissa, Christian Coloco, Dalen Terry. Um you know, two of those are leaving and then basically Kirk Reese is going to step right in for Terrell Brown. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a plug there. A nice a little something, you know, to smooth things over. Um, that's very exciting. Now, what, what, what also begs the question is, you know, we know that these three incoming freshmen are, are not really, I guess, like, technically should be classified as like one and done guys, right? Like they're not like the Stanley Johnson or, or Aaron Gordon caliber, uh, so it seems like per, per the composite rankings and stuff, um, you know, four stars, not scoffing at four stars, but it just normally comes, you know, with the expectation that five star guys, you know, it's just a pit stop. It's, it's just, I'm doing this cause I have to do it type thing. Um, you got to wonder how those four star guys are going to feel about, you know, maybe, I don't know, having to sit out, maybe, maybe not, maybe not playing as much as they could begs the question, you know, well, how could you maybe free up some time? Dale and Terry, you know, Dale and Terry is kind of an interesting one where it's like, you know, I don't think that he would transfer because, you know, I, I think that he has a pretty clear role on this team um, that good defender, um, strong rebounder. I mean, it seems like he does <laughs> except shoot. He does just about everything. Okay. You know, like pr- pr- pretty good. Um, doesn't do any, any one thing great. Um, but it seems like, and then also him being from the Phoenix area, you know, it just, it kind of makes sense that, you know, he would stay put, but I guess I could see a world where maybe he gets squeezed out of the rotation and then, you know, he's, you know, I don't pulls an Emmanuel Acott where he's, you know, hits the road and we don't see him again. Um, I don't know. Something to keep an eye on. I mean, obviously all this is theorizing. We we certainly don't have any inside access to that information. Um, but, but yeah, no, some, I don't know. Something to keep in mind. It's fun. I mean, off season, right? Anybody that has followed me during the games on the, the the Wildcat Radio AZ Twitter handle knows I have been lusting over Dale and Terry getting spot minutes at the four and going small ball, especially against the zone. It makes <laughs> and like that's a way to get minutes. For, like put him at the high post. It makes so much sense to me because that you're playing to his strengths, where he doesn't have to be an outside shooter. He can almost be like a high post facilitator. I don't understand but, you know. why. Yeah. Why, why did we not see more of Matherin and Terry together at the three, four? And then I don't care if it's Coloco or Tubelis. I mean, it's hard to really probably bench Tubelis, right? Uh, especially in some of those stretches. Um, so if you want to put Tubelis there, fine. And then, you know, Coloco maybe gets squeezed out a little bit, but especially depending on the matchups, right? I mean, 
Dale and Terry and Ben Mathern. I mean, I don't think that it ended up being the case uh, when we beat USC, but it's like, you know, that length, like how do you combat that length, right? You fight fire with fire. I mean, that just made a lot of sense. And so um, I don't know, Hope, hopefully, hopefully there's a little bit more development. Um, and we see that he's not like completely incompetent, right. Uh, at times from the offensive end on the offensive end of the floor. Um, but again, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's hard to grade him so harshly because I mean, he was just a freshman this year, right? I understand he was a top yeah. 50 player coming in, but I think, I think Dalen Terry would be well served by an additional 15 plus pounds of muscle on his body too. Cause I think that limits him defensively, whether it's against a bigger guy, if you were going small ball four, or even against perimeter guys mm-hmm. where he can kind of get muscled around or get swallowed up in screens, maybe more than he should, if he was a little bit uh, bigger and stronger. Um, but again, that's what, that's what happens when you have guys that are freshmen that aren't one and done, you know, freak athletes, like there's, Gordon. you know, Aaron Gordon, Ryan Day Hollis Jefferson were freak elite athletes. And that mm-hmm. in college means you are an elite defender inherently when you have that size and athleticism and, you know, Ben Matherin and Dalen Terry have the size and raw athleticism, but don't necessarily have the strength, right. That, you know, Aaron Gordon was a the grown man, even as a true freshman and an mm-hmm. underage freshman, I believe, I think he was only 17 when he played his year at Arizona. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I think he reclassed or he was like the youngest guy in the, in that freshman class or like second youngest in all of the NCAA. Um, and, but those guys are, you know, developmental freaks more than Dale and Terry is still, uh, uh, and Ben Matherin are freak athletes, but they are still physically immature in some respects compared to those five-star guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to see what a year's worth of development and strength and conditioning do for them. Plus, you know, I don't know about you, Ronnie, but in pandemic times, I certainly didn't hit the weight room as much and I've lost some muscle mass. So if I was, if I was an 18 year old kid, I probably wouldn't be hitting the weights as much either. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me, but, but Brett, you look great. So I don't ever want to hear you discount yourself Stop like that it. again. Um, moving on to the PAC 12 tournament, of course, then, right. So that was wrapped up, um, Oregon state shocking everybody, uh, getting that first round by because of the self-imposed band by the wildcats, uh, that slides Oregon state right into the fifth spot. And they sailed it all the way home, uh, opening with the 83 79 victory over UCLA. Um, before we go any farther on that, that actually, it, it's really funny UCLA seemed like such a lock for so long. And then that happened. Um, and, or I guess you say UCLA seemed like a lock for so much of the season, but really down the stretch of the season. Then of course, into this one and done, uh, performance in the tournament in Las Vegas. Um, you really started questioning like, well, are they really a lock? And then lo and behold, right. They're, they're in one of the play in games. They're playing Michigan state. Um, which we will get to here in a sec too, when we run through the five teams that are going to appear uh, for March Madness in Indiana. Um, but yeah, no, Oregon State, they, right? So you think, oh, great. Well, yeah, UCLA was kind of reeling at the end of the season and Oregon State, you know, okay, yeah, they put up a lot of points, but they also gave up a lot of points, which feels a little uncharacteristic of a Wayne Tinkle defense. And so you think, oh, yeah, whatever. They're going to go play Oregon, the team who just spanked them with like two weeks before that. And Oregon State, I mean, they had control of that Oregon game basically the entire time, which was really, really impressive. Um, and then and then you get to the point where, okay, you're in the final. Now you're waiting on the winner of the USC-Colorado game on the other side of the bracket. And it's just really funny how matchups are everything, right? Because honestly, if you flip this, okay, say Arizona was the five seed, that would have bumped them down to the six. 
they would have then played, um, what if I'm reading this correctly, it, it would have been the Washington, it would have been, they would have played Washington in the 6-11 game, which then brought them up to Colorado, which is, you know, they, you know, they played Colorado, they played them well, but then they would have run into USC. And you think like, you know, USC is just such a matchup nightmare for so many teams that it's hard to imagine that they would have actually gone the distance on that. They probably would have still ended up playing Oregon and maybe they would have beaten them. Right. Um, you know, who knows, maybe Oregon just, I mean, they only scored the 64 points, but uh, the point I'm trying to make here again, once again, rambling Brett, I apologize. Haven't done this in a while trying to shake off the rust here, but basically um, luck of the draw as it has it. And they capitalized on their luck of the draw, avoiding mm-hmm. USC, who I'm still convinced is the best team in the PAC 12. Um, and Hey, Lucky for them, they made it five teams making it to the NCAA tournament, which is tremendous for the conference. Yeah, more than realistically, if I'm perfectly honest, what the conference probably deserves. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think this year's Pac-12 conference uh, in basketball was particularly great. I think USC is clearly the most talented team, and I think Oregon was the best team, but maybe not the most talented, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, you, You know, Evan Mobley is one of the top two or three players in the country. And I don't even think he's close to what his potential could be in a few mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Oregon is, is just has a bunch of guys that can beat you and are really well coached, but they're all, you know, within two inches of each other in height. So they, they're a matchup nightmare in the backcourt, but a matchup nightmare in inverse sometimes on the, on the other end, I would have been curious to see how they would have handled uh, Evan Mobley in the, in a pact of title game, if it was all chalk going down, but you know, good on Oregon state for, you know, you can't, you know, they beat Oregon and UCLA two of, I would probably consider UCLA the third best, most and most talented team on the roster, even though they kind of were up and down. Um, so, you know, good on them for getting another team in their conference. And then it's just a fun reminder of the, the game in January where Arizona beat that Oregon state Pac-12 conference tournament champions by uh, 34 points. Spanked them. It wasn't even a game. Yeah, it was. It was. Amazing. Yeah, that, that was a that was a delightful time. I'm pretty sure I had lots of happy uh, happy Wildcat Radio AZ tweets. <laughs> <laughs> um, as opposed to sometimes drinking my sorrows, I drink my uh, to my to to life and success for <laughs> Arizona basketball. But yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's it. God God bless Oregon State for helping uh, get another team in the tournament for 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 the pac 12. And now I guess we'll see as some of the matchups, I think for, for some of these schools that got in the five schools that you got, that you mentioned that got in are, I think there's some interesting things there. If you kind of dive into a little bit and I, you know, as much as UCLA kind of fell off a little bit, I kind of like them to surprise people because I just think they have some, some serious talent on that team uh, that, and I, I tend to think that guard play, uh, in the tournament really shows out. Um, and I'm, I actually think Oregon is the team that's probably going to be one that sneaks up on, uh, sneaks up on some people nationally too, even though they've gotten, a, you know, they've, they've had some injuries and guys in and out of, uh, you know, the lineup and kind of started to peak a little bit towards the end of the year. Uh, but I don't know if they've really gotten the credit they deserve, uh, but it's, it's going to be an interesting uh, men's bracket this year, I think for the PAC 12 conference. Let's run through those real quick and and we'll leave it at that. So um, the highest seeded team from the conference is Colorado at five. Uh, They will play number 12, Georgetown. 
always be weary of those 12, five upsets, Georgetown, um, like Oregon state took care of business and ran their conference tournament. As a result, they were rewarded with the 12 seed and will face number five, Colorado moving on then to USC, which is the next highest ranked team or, or I guess seeded team. Um, USC, they will play the winner of Drake, Wichita state Drake. Drake was kind of a sneaky one. I, I think this year where I, I think at one point, um, well into January, they were one of like three undefeated teams left in the country. Um, and then ultimately you know, they, they, they fell off a little bit, but you know, they, they, they were rewarded with a play in game despite not winning, um, uh, or I guess, you know, the automatic qualifying bid. Right. So, um, then goes on to Oregon number seven facing VCU. I agree with you that, um, so first and foremost, right. Oregon is probably the best team. Uh, just in perpetuity because Dana Altman's a tremendous coach. Um, what is going to be tricky here is I watched VCU St. Bonaventure on Sunday morning uh, and VCU, although they kind of broke down late in the game and I think v, uh, St. Bonaventure's actually opened up like a 17 point lead at one point, but, but then they really clawed back and, and pulled like a Bobby Hurley foreshadowing, make a note of that Bobby Hurley, um, and the boys full court press creating havoc and all that stuff. Right. And then just, you know, made, made a, made a weird situation for him. Super lanky, uh, very athletic VCU. I think Oregon's going to actually have their hands really full with that. Um, then number 11, UCLA, as we said earlier, they were rewarded. Um, they were one of the last four in, they were rewarded with the buy-in game, uh, against Michigan state to your point. I would hundred percent agree with you. Actually, if they do beat BY or excuse me, if they do beat Michigan State, it is very, very reasonable to think that they will get past BYU in the next round. And then at that point, right, they would have won two games, but unfortunately, that only brings you to the round of 32. Then you would probably take on Texas, which I mean, you know, Texas is Texas is Texas. You know, Texas I always be wary of Texas. It's like football, right? I mean, everyone just wants Texas to be good for whatever reason. So um, I, I know I know they're having a strong year, and Shaka Smart seems to really be doing good things there finally. But um, always be wary of that. Then last, that brings us to Oregon State, which a 12-5 matchup. Oregon State is the 12 seed, and they will be facing Tennessee. Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes is a choke artist. Never forget that he had Kevin Durant uh, in <laughs> one of his years in Texas. And, um, I don't even think, I don't even think if he won a game, he definitely didn't make it to the second weekend. So there you go. We'll see Kevin Durant, probably the best, uh, best college player that we've seen in quite some time. Couldn't even do that. So yeah. Can we, can we talk about how silly it is that Colorado is the highest seeded PAC 12 team? <laughs> it, it is. And I, I think it just plays to your point that even though the PAC 12 got five conferences, or excuse me, five teams in, it's still the weakest conference of the power five. And so, I mean, I think that's very much apparent in the seating. Yeah. I, you know, I would actually say I, I, in my personal brackets, I have, um, I actually have Oregon beating Iowa in round two. I think they're going to be the, the ones that pulls the upset to get to the sweet 16. I think USC is going to take care of Wichita State or or Drake, whichever one it is. Uh, I I have I have Colorado picked as a the five twelve sacrificial lamb because I don't I don't have faith in 
in them in that matchup. Um, That's fine. But then I also, you know, Oregon State. I'm not. Sh- I don't think Oregon State, if they had not won the tournament, I'm not. I, I don't think they probably would have gotten in, or they would have had to really get in by the skin of their teeth and had multiple Pac-12 teams in the play-in games, maybe. Uh, but I actually, to your to your Rick Barnes point, I feel really good about them as a another 5-12, but on the other end, being the team that does the upsetting, because uh, I think they're they're peaking at the right time. Um, but I, you know, it's I, I, my, my, when I look through this bracket, I feel like there's going to be a mixed bag for the conference. I think some teams are going to overperform national expectations. And I think some teams are going to underperform expectations. As I basically just said, where I think Colorado is going to be a, a five twelve upset as our highest seeded team, but I actually have some faith in, in Oregon, Oregon state. And I think UCLA, um, to your point, I think that they, that they're, they're a, probably a better matchup with like if they're playing BYU in the in the round of 64 I think their their strength is their guard play and that's you know they can kind of uh they can they can handle some of the you know what's the what's the guy that the old U of A transfer from uh the Phoenix area that's open over there I'm blanking on his name yeah he's been killing it since transferring over there and yeah you know if, if there's one thing we learned about him, watch him in Arizona. He, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of talent, but he seemed to struggle against the more elite athletes. And I don't think you get that at BYU as regularly as you're going to get when you play UCLA with, you know, some high level guard play. Sure. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, it's a March madness tournament, right? So anything's anything can, can and will happen. And the, the dirty secret is the best team almost never wins the men's basketball championship. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to just have one this year. I agree. I agree. I, I, it was kind of bittersweet watching the selection show because it was like, man, I, I wish that they, you know we could see us. But it's like, ah, whatever. I'm just thankful that it, that it's actually happening this year. I guess. So looking at the more macro view of things, one correction for you there, actually, Brett. Uh, you said that Oregon is going to beat Iowa. Um, I think you meant to say that Oregon's going to beat Grand Canyon in the <laughs> second round, uh, representing. Phoenix because ASU completely um, had a joke of a season. It always lives up to it. Just like football. Uh, any, anytime there's any sort of reasonable, or I guess I shouldn't say reasonable, any sort of higher expectation uh, for performance of these teams, they just fall flat on their face. So I think uh, transitioning now, and, and we'll wrap it up with this piece here before, you know, we jump ahead to a little bit of football news after our next break. Um the fallouts from all of this, right? The fallouts from the Pac-12 tournament that we just we, we just reviewed. So um, it was reported a couple hours ago that Larry Kristowiak has been relieved of duties uh, from Utah after spending the last 10 years there. Hard to believe that he's been there for 10 years, um, which, which is really uh, just makes me think, wow, we're getting old, man, because 10 years <laughs> just blew by. But um, that happened. And there's also a flurry of activity happening uh, over in Tempe, and it almost seems to suggest that there's some writing on the wall. Brett, I'm going to let you handle this because you pointed this out to me. I didn't even know that the, the, the Jalen House bit, and then I know you talked about Tayshon Cherry. But for our listeners who have not been following this, please please fill us in here. Yeah. So in the last couple of days, Tayshon Cherry, uh, you know, formerly player eight in the same report that had Arizona as University four. Uh, you know, highly acclaimed high school player has entered the transfer portal. Jalen House, son of Eddie House. Yes, that Eddie House, who finally started getting some minutes as the season went along for ASU in this, 
you know, best, most talented roster ever that finished with, I don't even think they finished above 500 in, in conference not. play. Um, he has also entered the transfer portal. Uh, and if you, you, you know, if you kind of parlay that along with, you know, Josh Christopher, one of the highest recruits ASU's gotten, maybe the highest recruit since James Harden. Yeah. And or, or certainly since James Harden, right? Sure. And then mm-hmm. Marcus Bagley uh, are both kind of expected to, at a minimum, probably most likely stay declare for the draft and stay in the draft. It's certainly on Josh Christopher's end. I don't know if Marcus Bagley has done enough. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't actually think he's that good to be honest. And I think there's a reason he ended up well, but at I, ASU, but yeah, I, he'll I, test the water. You're right. Th- I think he thinks he's that good. Sure. Yeah. And there's nothing <laughs> um, wrong with that. Yeah, he should, you know, um, so there's, there's a, the, the best, most talented roster in ASU history has a lot of holes in it. And there's, there's started to be, you know, that's, I think you kind of alluded to, there's some rumblings that maybe, uh, that, that Bobby Hurley and ASU may soon be also parting ways. Um, but we'll see it's March 16th here. You know, we can kind of speak to that more when that happens, but it's probably not a good sign when a uh, son of one of your <laughs> your handful of NBA players, uh, you know, alums. That's, I mean, Eddie House is up there in the ASU basketball legends, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he's not staying past his sophomore year. Um, it's it's certainly not a sign of you know the positive stability you'd want to have in terms of capitalizing on the amount of recruiting success Bobby Hurley has had, but you know, it's been a, it was, it's been a weird season for ASU and just consistently underperforming. And I think I, I joked with Adam a week or two ago that ASU is that rare team that is somehow worse than the sum of their parts this year. And to some extent, you know, is that just roster fit? Is that coaching? Is it culture? You know, maybe all of the above, but something's not working there. And it seems like maybe there's going to be some bigger changes potentially coming afoot for the, for the Sun Devils. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. I mean, you know, if, if, if you look at the full body of work of Bobby Hurley's time in Tempe, right. So he, we were looking at this before um, we started recording. He, he has a conference record of 50 and 57, right? So obviously below 500 there. Um, he has, I think three 20 win seasons, if memory serving, I don't have it in front of me, but um, you know, one of those seasons absolutely came when, when the PAC 12 was just an absolute joke and he still couldn't win the regular season championship and he could not win the PAC 12 tournament championship. So, I mean, those two things, right. If there was ever a time to do it, it was, it was the 2018, 19 season um, when Arizona, when he, the only time he's beaten Arizona twice in a season um, was when we had the worst roster uh, or, or, or really probably worst, worst, um, I mean, I guess roster in 35 years. So, um, you know, I, I don't mean to slam that roster, but everyone knows what I'm saying, right? Like that, that, that was a patch job of a roster that was put together very last minute because of something we touched on earlier with the FBI investigation. It's yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard to think that I understand COVID and the outbreaks and stuff. Um, yes, they had a bad draw as far as, as far as, outbreaks happening, the pauses and everything going, but guess what? Oregon, Oregon had, I think two different nine day pauses and look at them. They, 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 they won the PAC 12 tournament or excuse me, won the regular season conference title. Um, they, of course, you know, they're getting in as a seven seed. They were upset by Oregon state in the tournament. 
Um, but I mean, they, they didn't, you know, they won 20 games. They, they had no problem there. Right. And so I, I think at some point, at some point, all of this underachievement has to go back to the coach, right? Um, you can't have it both ways for those ASU fans that, that rail on Sean Miller for not being a good coach and not being able to get it done with the talent. You can have it both ways, right? I mean, this, this is the, exactly what they've been saying for however long. And it's gotta be so frustrating for Bobby Hurley, because at some point, you know, you, it kind of felt like maybe the tide was turning uh, for ASU going back to that 2018-19 season where it was like, okay, yeah, great. You know, and then last year uh, with Josh with, with Josh Green and Nico Mannion, they split, they split the season series. ASU actually ends up finishing third uh, in the regular season. He has that first round by, of course, the tournament, the conference tournament didn't happen, but you know, it, it felt like, okay, maybe, maybe they're finally some footing. Like you said, Brett, and we've been well-documented all year um, best roster in school history for the record. They finished 11 and 14 again. I mean, but the thing with the COVID stuff is that everyone dealt with COVID this year, some more than others, but I don't want to hear about, you know, how the pauses and everything mess things up because that that's just debunked immediately by, by Oregon, by, by, by just the, the case of Oregon. I mean, Oregon played well enough to win the regular season title. They rebounded twice from two nine day pauses. I mean, I am beating a dead horse here, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I would about, not be upset if it was over for Hurley. How about, you know, the, the COVID excuses, Stanford didn't play an actual home game all, in all of the conference, in all the they're season. Countless. Right? I mean, they're, they're, they're they were playing countless. in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so like, and, and I would actually contend that if, if, if your team is the source of some of the COVID issues as which clearly it is. Cause then also, you know, see football team. Right. So obviously I mean, yeah, they had a hard time. Same thing. There's, there's, you know, there's a bit more going on there and maybe that's partially where, where you're located, but it's also part of the culture, you know, for all the things Kevin, someone and company did wrong, they seem to handle COVID pretty well in terms sure. of like guys that didn't observe protocols. There were major repercussions for them. See Edgar Barola, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a guy with, you think, you think Arizona could have used a better starting right tackle last year? <laughs> um and and they basically, you know, suspended him for the whole for the whole year for not following COVID protocols, right? Um, so I, you know, I I, I I made the comparison on on Twitter that Bobby Hurley and Andy Enfield are the same coach. They both just recruit well and don't actually add any in-game coaching, in my opinion. Uh, and I think Andy and the difference is Andy Enfield has Evan Mobley because he hired Evan Mobley's dad. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, um, so it's, we'll, we'll see if, if anything happens with, uh, you know, by the time this posts, it may have already happened, Good, but you know, you know, it, 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 there'll be a, f- a few fewer technical fouls in future territorial cup basketball games called if Bobby <laughs> Hurley is leaving us. That is true. All right, Brett, um, quick break. And then we'll wrap this thing up. I know we're already pushing an hour here. So, so we'll, we'll fly through the football stuff here at the end. Um, stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, Brett. So hopping back into it as promised, just a quick football thing. And, and this is, um, this is more so, I think, Again, 
rock bottom was last year. I, it's hard to imagine that anything could have been worse than last year. I, I guess the only thing that could have been worse last year is if the last game of the year was every game throughout the season. Right. And so I, I mean, I take that every, it could always be worse. Right. But, but we have to assume that last year was rock bottom, right. As a result, heads rolled, um, basically, uh, complete, roster reconstruct without the, you know, with the exception of a few different areas. I mean, uh, familiar faces coming back in the, in the running back room, I guess, basically the receivers are the same, but other than that, I mean, it really feels like there's going to be uh, a lot of turnover. Jed fish, Jed fish has done a great job up to this point. I think as noted earlier in the podcast of engaging the fan base, right. Engaging the former players, um, selling the product, right? Because right at this point, um, we haven't seen the product. So it's kind of just, you're just following the hype. I'm looking over each, each day. Um, you know, each day I, I usually start my morning with three websites. One of those, um, goes back and forth between wildcat authority, Jason Shear. by the way, uh, his Twitter account was hacked friend of the podcast. Jason Shear had the pleasure of interviewing him probably about a year ago now. Um, on, on this podcast, his Twitter account was hacked. If you followed him, um, uh, go look for him again and refollow him because he lost about 8,500 followers <clears throat> when it was hacked. So just you know, throwing that out there, shout out. He does great work. Wildcat authority. The other one of course is uh, AZ desert swarm. So I actually hope Ryan doesn't listen to this because I do contribute from time to time in AZ desert swarm. And he probably won't be happy that I put Jason Shear ahead of that, but um, the point I'm trying to make here is that headlines pop up, you know, and throughout this week, right? So I'm, I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a couple to you, um, Brett, and you tell me um, w- why I should care about this. Um, three-star Georgia athlete Tyrion Williams II puts Arizona in top twelve. Another one, four-star Oregon wide receiver Darius Clemens includes Arizona in top 10 four-star defensive lineman Dominic James includes Arizona in top 12. I am, I, you know, consolation prizes, everybody has a different opinion on them. Um, I guess I I just struggled. Why should we care about this? Why is this a big deal? If at all? I mean, first of all, I'm just happy we're still in the top 12 of the Pac-12 after the last football season. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I, I I think you raise a good it's a it's a good point and a good question to ask because you know, woohoo, you're in the top 12. But I think I think the way to approach it is, you know, first of all, a couple of those guys on that list, you know, Dominic James, his top 12 is four-star guy. Top, uh, you know, I think 201st play, best player in the country, according to 247 Sports. Some of those other 12 are Alabama, South Carolina, Oregon, Ohio State, USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, Florida, AM, UCF, and Georgia. I would say that there's one of those teams in that 12 that's not like the other right now, but that should be a, a positive step for Arizona. Um, to even be, you know, there's, there's a, maybe Dominic James isn't a realistic target, but to make the top 12 and to see him tweeting that out, where, you know, you know how recruiting is. It's a lot about hype, the seven on seven circuits, who's offering who and trying to see who fits where. Uh, and those guys all know each other. It's kind of like college football is a little bit with like 
basketball, they're a few years behind basketball, the seven on seven where all the elite athletes nationally kind of know each other and everybody knows who's the top guys for a while, you know, being mentioned alongside those is a positive thing for capitalizing on the buzz that Jed fish has, has seemingly done. I've, you know, I've never seen somebody go from, wow, what's with this hire to, Hey, he's done all of the obvious things right so far. And it changed the narrative really fast. And there's some positivity to be built from that. And you should get positivity from a new coach. Uh, and the, one of the ways you, you capitalize on that is in recruiting when you have a little bit of buzz and being seen alongside all those schools for, for, uh, you know, for Dominic, James, Dominic James is a positive sign. And similarly for Darius Clemens, a top 250 guy, these are guys that are, you know, elite that top 10 has Auburn, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, Stanford, USC, Penn state, the same kind of thing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just getting mentioned alongside those guys, even if you're not winning those recruiting battles, it's already, you know, I, I don't believe in moral victories, but it had, it does nothing but helps the brand of Arizona football especially when you come to guys that are like Tyrion Williams, who you said is, you know, three-star uh, guy, who Arizona makes 12, you know, top 12 for. And I think that's where you start to, you know, you have to kind of parse uh, into people here, three stars and don't feel like that's very exciting, but you know, not all three stars are considered equal. There's God, there's probably at 1200, three stars in the two, four, seven ratings, right? Mm -hmm. It's where do they fall within that and where, you know, you can usually kind of have a, a gauge of the offer list for where people are kind of sensing somebody's at. And that guy has, I think 50 offers, you know, so he's like a higher three-star he's nationally at 739, which when you compare it to basketball, where anybody that's not in the top 100 for Arizona, you're like, Oh, that's barely a guy worth recruiting. He's a four-year guy. But if you're in the top thousand, when you have 25 uh, man classes for however many college football programs across the country, not counting gray shirts and blue shirts, you know, you got what 65 power five conferences do the math. There's a lot of talent out there and it's parsing those guys out and getting, you know, getting the high three-star guys versus the low three-star guys is the difference between winning and losing for a program like Arizona and all of that hype for those four-star guys. Maybe you can, maybe you can pull one or two of them, but it, cer it, it certainly does nothing but help you in terms of helping win those battles uh, when you have that kind of brand and image with the, with the young kids, even when it comes to the high three-star guys. And that only helps build things for future years as well. Fair. No, I, I think that's good. Um, I, 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 I agree with, with everything you said. Um, I, I, I just, it's funny because I look at those sometimes and I think, why is this noteworthy? And, and it's good to remind yourselves. And I think that you did a great job of explaining that to the sense of if you are being mentioned in a final list. And I know, I know the, le the, the, the length of the list is somewhat laughable if you're talking about 12 schools, but um, looking at those other 11 schools, you know, if it's being, headlined by blue chips, you know, uh, Alabama, Oregon, Notre Dame, you know, the higher end ones, there's a little bit of a moral victory there, I guess. And then the other point too, <clears throat> I think to hammer home is the idea that for instance, Dominic James, right. So at IMG Academy, um, football factory, right. I mean, Florida, I, everyone, you know, kids from California are transferring there. And actually he might've been one of them uh, are transferring there because, you know, last year with COVID they weren't playing. So they're like, well, I got to play to keep this dream alive. Um, I think getting in with those kids and showing that you're going to treat them well, what you're building lines, keeping open lines of communications 
you might get a referral from some up and coming, you know, junior, sophomore, something that's in the pipeline there. And then guess what? You have an open door to start building that, building that relationship. I mean, it's just like an employer. It's just like the real world and the professional world, right? It's like um, you, you network, right? You just put on the smile, do the easy things right. Um, and things, things work out for you. So no, I, I think um, I, of course, I would love to land one. The four-star guy is just, I don't know. We'll see. It, it just, it's a bit demoralizing, discouraging, I guess, you know, to see like Alabama. It's like, ah, uh, it's us in Alabama. Like we're not going to get them. I mean, Dominic James, I think is from Alabama too. So there's like, <laughs> there's like no yeah. chance. We're not getting them. It's, it, it's, it's purely just getting the foot in the door. Honestly, what that probably is, is just, I'm sure it's, Hey, new regime. Um, we will recruit anybody we feel is can come right in and play that can do well here. And Oh, by the way, just like fish and his staff did here locally in the, in the Valley with all the high school coaches contacted every high school coach, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's all about those open lines of communication, um, uh, with, with, with all those schools. So I think that's good. Um, football, I know spring balls coming up, you know, a lot of the spring previews are, are, are starting to show, um, read up on those, you know, I, I, um, I will watch, um, if you and Adam are so gracious, um, you know, maybe, maybe give Mike Lev a week off and I can give you my thoughts. And, um, I know Mike Lev is maybe a little bit more qualified just kidding. No, you're good. De- 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 <laughs> definitely get, de- definitely take Mike Lev's opinion on this. I think that's good. And, and by the way, um, got a couple more minutes. What an awesome guest he is. He's so great to listen to. I, I could listen to or talk with Michael Lev about sports like all day, every day. I also, you know, maybe it's just confirmation bias, but I generally find his takes and opinions um, spot on in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and it not necessarily in a, he doesn't necessarily apply things in a judgmental or preachy way, but he has very well-reasoned approaches. And when he offers an opinion, it seems like it's aligned with what I would think, but you know, I'm just a lowly podcaster guy that enjoys listening to Michael Lev's analysis right there with you. That makes two of us. Uh, all right, Brett, great show. Thanks so much everyone for listening. Uh, again, we will do this, uh, this time again next week. Um, well, Adam is, you know, enjoying the waves of Maui. I cannot wait to get back over to Hawaii. Really just get on a plane at all at this point would be fun. But, um, yeah, no, very jealous of him right now. Hope, hope everything's going well. Um, hope something exciting happens from now until next week, Brett, because, uh, I, I feel like we really stretched it here. The off season, what we could be talking about. I mean, I'm really looking forward to all of the national news coverage of absolutely no new revelations for Sean Miller and his contract status for another week. <laughs> Come on, coach Barnes, help us out here. Huh? Um, yeah, that game's Monday at 11 Arizona time, I believe. Uh, okay. Their first game. Perfect. All right. Very good. We will have some stuff to talk about with that at least. So that's good. Yeah. You can't trust, uh, prez, prez Bobby to do anything right, I guess, or, or at least <laughs> easily. Right. I mean, you might ultimately get there, but, uh, I don't know why it's like pulling teeth. Well, anyway. All right. This was, this was great. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Until next week, bear down. Bear down.